to the final conversation of season one at the Full Capacity Living Podcast. This first year of podcasting has turned out to be many things. First of all, an amazing experience to be able to connect with so many wise guests. I've learned from the wisdom and work of so many in the world of functional and integrative medicine. I've also had the opportunity to challenge myself with the editing portion of this podcast. That has been a stiff learning curve, but thanks for sticking with me during the sometimes wonky editing going on here. I have also learned to cultivate patience with this project, as frequently it isn't perfect or always easy to drop these podcasts bi-monthly, but so gratifying when I see it pop up on my Apple Podcast Just Released list. For all of you who have been faithful listeners, commenting, rating, and reviewing, I'm also so grateful. It means a lot to have listeners that are engaged and feel they're getting something out of the conversations. That was the real purpose of the Full Capacity Living Podcast, really, to provide knowledge and tools to help you all live your healthiest, most optimized life and empower you to create health for yourself. And frankly, for me, I learn a lot, right? I'm a work in progress as well. So as we end season one and take a short hiatus before season two starts in February, I'm so honored to bring back Dr. Heather Mode, who started out this podcast with episode one. How great, the synchronicity of it. And if you're not familiar with her, hop back on that episode one and check out her background. She's back today to talk to us about her new book that was just going into editing the last time that we talked. It's available December 20th, just in time for Christmas and the new year. Sort of a new you for the new year, right? The title of the book is Immunotype Breakthrough, and she's given me a sneak peek of the contents, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Now, more than ever, this is truly a groundbreaking way to look at your overall immune health and how to balance a system that right now may likely be in a state of imbalance. Heather's background as an immunologist and functional medicine physician makes her uniquely qualified to look at the world of our immune system in a distinctly personalized way in her new book. She presents the information in an easy-to-digest format that will give you the tools right off the bat to create the type of environment in your body that balances your immune system and leads you to health. We discuss the ways our bodies get pushed into imbalance, the four immunotypes she's created, smoldering, misguided, hyperactive, and weak, which you can determine through quizzes she has in the book, and how those relate to the epidemics in our country of Alzheimer's, diabetes, chronic inflammatory diseases, cancer, autoimmune disease, and more. We talk about the immune system itself and how it works, tools to balance. We talk about probiotics, adaptogens, medicinal mushrooms, and of course, lifestyle. So whether you are listening to this on a long drive headed home for Thanksgiving or listening in short bits while exercising, walking the dog, or cooking, sometimes I listen to podcasts very loud while I'm taking a shower as well. So there's so many ways to listen to podcasts, even if it's a longer conversation, which mine usually are. Get ready for an informative conversation with the brilliant Dr. Heather Moday. Here we go. All right, well, here we are with Dr. Heather Moday, who started out the Full Capacity Living podcast 
back when I first started in the beginning of the year and she is finishing it out. So I'm excited to have her here. And as we talked about in the first podcast episode, um, she was in the process of writing a book and that book is finished and it will be coming out December 20th, just in time for everyone to um, give as a Christmas gift or in the new year for a new you, right? As we talked about. Um, immunotype breakthrough. So, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Heather. Thank you so much, Karen. It's so fun to be here again. Yeah, it's exciting for me too. And um, I got a sneak look at some of the, the work you've been doing. You talked to me a little bit about it as well. Um, I really love the idea that this book really breaks things down in a concise, easy to understand way. Um, you've kind of talked about the, the different types of um, the immunotypes, as you call them, and how to figure out what your immunotype is, and also just some great information just about the immune system to begin with. You, you definitely break it down in a way that is personalized and helps people understand just what the underlying reasons are. So, so why don't you maybe start out with um, the impetus for this book and you know, what got you going in this direction? Sure. So, um, you know, for people listening, my background is as a conventionally trained allergist and immunologist and, you know, in conventional medicine, when you, uh, as a, as a physician, medical doctor, when you do a fellowship in allergy, you also learn all about the immune system. So really it's allergy and immunology. And so, <clears throat> you know, in my, um, sort of journey, uh, becoming a functional medicine doctor. Um, I just have a very strong background in understanding of, you know, how the immune system affects really all aspects of our health. And, you know, it's really sort of this all knowing, all present system. Mm -hmm. And so much of what I do now is really help people with diseases that are, you know, caused by imbalances in our immune system, you know, either due to lifestyle um, issues or, or infections or uh, things like that. So, you know, uh, a lot of what I do is talk to people about how we can improve their uh, immunity or balance it. And so I think that, you know, there's just a lot of misinformation out there and also a lot of misunderstanding. Um, about how the immune system works. And I really feel strongly that people, patients should understand their bodily systems because really in the end, uh, you know, we're the ones who have to take care of ourselves. And so, you know, after having a lot of people come in talking about, you know, their allergies, autoimmune diseases, uh, chronic inflammation, um, you know, I decided to really sort of break it down and make it a little bit more, um, uh, understandable and um, approachable. And I also, over the years, have seen uh, different patterns emerge uh, in terms of people's uh, diseases and diagnoses. And um, so what sort of emerged from this was this idea that, you know, we sort of get pushed into imbalance in our immune systems. And um, so I created this, you know, the scaffolding of different immunotypes. And um, so there's four of them. 
currently, who knows in the future, there may be more. Right. Um, and there is crossover, which I really try to make uh, people understand that, you know, you can be a balance or a mix of one or two. Um, but it really just helps to sort of understand um, the immune system and what we can do about that, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's pretty much it. And that's how sort of the, the immunotype uh, breakthrough came about. Well, a couple things there I would love to pull out. Um, I love the empowerment piece that, that you're really, um, because that's a foundation of fun functional medicine, right? Empowering people to understand how their bodies work so that they don't have to keep coming back to someone else. This is about helping people understand how did I get where I am right now? What, you know, as you said, pushed me into imbalance? Um, and, and the patterns that you saw, I mean, you've worked with thousands of patients. So that's, this book is informed by, by real life, real things that you've mm -hmm. seen, um, you know, and the four immunotypes. I think all of those things um, are so interesting to me. It sounds like the, the doshas in a way, right? Because we kind of learn who mm. we are through our yeah, yeah yeah and and it's different but it's, mm -hmm. it's similar right and so you know, that's funny I've, I've had other people say that <laughs> yeah yeah because you're looking at, at how your body responds to something and it's very personalized which is also what I like because the cookie cutter sort of algorithm this is exactly what's going to happen um, doesn't always work for everyone right so if you can kind right. of look at yourself individually um, through what you've provided in this book, um, then, you know, you're, you're more prepared, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, you know, you as a health coach understand, um, obviously, very well that um, in order for to make as many people as healthy as possible, it's sort of our duty to help them, you know, figure that out on their own or, you know, to give them the tools to then sort of move forward and, and continue to take care of themselves. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as we'll get to talk about, you've got lots of toolkits in this book for people. I so do, yes. maybe what we can, we can move to is <laughs> I know in the beginning of, of the book, you talk a lot about the scary t statistics and the good news about those things, right? The killer germ obsession, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe get into a little bit about some of those statistics that you know around, um, you know, what's happened in our environment and what's mm -hmm. kind of brought some of these things to um, a little higher population of people that aren't, aren't well. Sure, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting if you look back historically uh, at, um, you know, health statistics in the United States um, and uh, I'm saying that because, you know, most of the research um, that I have is um, from the United States, but this is also seen in other parts of the world as well. But, you know, 100 years ago, we definitely, most Americans um, died generally of infectious disease. That was really common. And things like, you know, TB was a big one. Um, of course, influenza, like, you know, we had the Spanish flu back around the turn of the century. Um, and, you know, there were lots of um, childhood 
death, um, very, very common, women to lose children in childbirth, women to die in childbirth, and most of these were from infection. So, you know, and, and part of that was because we just didn't have the sanitation that we have now. We did not have antibiotics. We did not have necessarily the best surgical procedures. Right. Um, you know, public health was, there was no public health. There was, there was no vaccines. I mean, you know, so that was sort of then, right? And, but what we've done is we've sort of done this complete 180. Um, and, you know, I do mention that we cannot rule out infectious disease because obviously we are still within a global pandemic. Um, and, you know, that's sort of a, a, another subject. But, um, you know, over, you know, over the past, say, um, 40 years or so, um, we have had less and less deaths from infectious disease with the exception of things like, you know, HIV AIDS in, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what has developed is this new sort of just chronic disabling poor health that ends up killing us in the end. So we're living longer than we did a hundred years ago. So we're maybe living to 80, 85 or older, Mm -hmm. but we're living very poorly and on multiple medications and, you know, in pain. And, um, we had like an absolute, I think, almost epidemic increase in Alzheimer's disease, of course, of course, cancer, of course, heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. Right. So all of that, you know, you look at that and you go, okay, well, that is, what does that do to? And um, that is due basically to chronic inflammation and, you know, the underpinnings of all of that, there's many, um, but most of it's our lifestyle. Most of it's our food. Mm-hmm. Um, how we eat, um, what is available for people to eat, um, chemical exposures, environmental exposures, um, epidemic problems with sleep deprivation, chronic stress. So all of these things, it's not like it's not like this didn't exist a hundred years ago, right. But we have just completely changed how we live. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, we have a lot of really great things going on now, but, we've tipped so far in the other direction that it's um, we're having this whole new set of, of, of problems. So we sort of have to like take the needle back a little bit and make it more balanced. You know, I'm always about balance. I talk about balance all the time and that's what we really need. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that, um, you know, when we, when we think about all of the, the changes and as you mentioned, like it's, it's food, it's our environment. I think that sometimes in conventional medicine, they feel like there's no explanation for things. Yet, what I think I've learned, at least in functional medicine, is that there is. It's not just one smoking gun, right? It's it's this mm-hmm. layering effect of all of these root causes that are what you talk about in terms of lifestyle, stress, and sleep, and and chemical exposure, and all of those things. We know that chronic inflammation, driven by some of those things, for each person turns into something different. Whatever chronic disease, genetically, they might be more predisposed. And it's sometimes frustrating to me, I'm sort of in the middle of that right now, frustrating to to understand that from this perspective and then have, um, you know, the allopathic conventional 
um, medical world think that there still is no explanation for this stuff. Um, right. Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the other things you brought up was this um, hygiene hypothesis and, mm-hmm. you know, not 100% accurate, right, as you said, and that there's another hypothesis that sort of explains it a little bit more. Help me understand that and help our listeners just understand what that is all about and how that's created some of this. Sure, yeah. So, you know, we know, um, you know, one of the, I would say, the underlying uh, influences on how our immune system works has a lot to do with um, our microbiome, right? So all the microbes, and there's many, you know, uh, not just bacteria, bacteria, viruses, uh, parasites, yeast, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that all live within our um, digestive tract. And we do have a microbiome elsewhere. We have it in our sinuses, we have it in our skin, we have it in our mouth. And um, it's there for a reason. It's like a whole, some people even call it like a separate organ in the body, right? Mm And, you know, part of that comes from, um, we inherit it from our mother, right? So, uh, because when we're sort of in utero, we don't, you know, we're relatively sterile. Like we don't have um, really those bacteria, our, our gut has not been seeded. Um, so a lot of that we get when we sort of go through the birth canal, if we're, if we're lucky to be vaginally uh, delivered. Um, and then of course, through, um, uh, um, you know, breastfeeding and just crawling around on the floor and picking things up and uh, being exposed to um, things through our environment, through siblings, et cetera. And so there was a, um, a very famous, um, it really wasn't even a big, it really wasn't a big paper. It was sort of like a, an opinion uh, journal article that was back in the eighties. And I remember, um, I remember learning about this, of course, when I was 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 an allergist uh, fellow. That um, this uh, epidemiologist basically s- showed that um, there were children who had hay fever in uh, and also like eczema, which this is you know we hay fever is basically seasonal allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids who had allergies seem to have uh, grow up in uh, smaller families. So like they didn't have a lot of siblings to like pass around germs with. Um, They had fewer childhood infections. Uh, They had, you know, probably more exposure to antibiotics and things like that. And so there was this idea that like, because they had fewer infections, and when we talk about infections, we're talking about pathogens. So these are things like strep or or staph infections, you know. so these children went on uh, to have um, more allergies. So fewer infections, more allergies. And so it was dubbed the hy- hygiene hypothesis. And it was like this wildfire like idea that like, oh my God, you had to have infections as a child. And, you know, and the thing is, is part of it was true. So mm-hmm. out of that did grow this idea that maybe we live in too hygienic of a world. Uh, maybe we use too much hand sanitizer and, um, you know, antimicrobial soap and we're constantly wiping things down with bleach. And, and this is probably true. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's a slight difference when you think about it. It's not really the bad bugs that help us. Mm -hmm. It's really 
the good bugs, okay? So when we take antibiotics and we, when we use these antimicrobial soaps and, and things like that, or maybe um, when we're not vaginally birthed and we're not breastfed and we don't you know, have exposure to animals and playing in the dirt, we don't get this wide variety of um, what we like to call commensal bacteria. So the commensals are okay. basically bacteria that colonize our gut and, you know, and so really getting these, these bugs um, sort of trains our immune system. And, um, and so this was, they sort of changed this and made it more, um, I would say, an inc inclusive explanation and called it the old friends hypothesis. So okay. basically it's the presence of old friends versus pathogens that's really sort of forming, you know, uh, the foundation of your, um, of your immune system really is from a child on up. So, um, so it's still important not to take lots of antibiotics. It's still <laughs> important not to use antimicrobial soaps and things like that. Um, and it's still important to play in the dirt. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. As long as yeah. the dirt doesn't have pesticides in it, right? Right. <laughs> pesticides <laughs> and heavy metals. Yeah. No, there's always that. Right, right, right. But, but I like what you're saying there in terms of, you know, nothing is ever really an absolute, right? Part of that was accurate. Then you kind of shifted it and did more research and, and found out, okay, it isn't just that. It's, there's, there's many layers to this, as we talked about, mm -hmm. like root mm -hmm. cause being many layers. And we have so much bacteria in our body. I mean, our bodies are almost more bacteria than anything else, right? Um, we are, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the other part of that microbiome, the gut microbiome, um, you talk a little bit about the GALT system. So um, talk to me about that and just the, the old wisdom about all disease starts in the gut. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the GALT basically, um, it stands for gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And what we know is that um, really just about one cell layer outside of um, the intestinal, um, what we call the lumen or the inside of the intestine, lies these large patches of immune cells. They cluster together, right? So they're often called Peyer's patches too. Um, but this GALT uh, region really stretches like the whole length of our intestinal tract. And um, this is sort of like the interface between um, what's inside of our intestinal tract. So not only those microbes, those trillions and trillions of organisms that live there, but anything we eat, anything we swallow, like whether it's food, drink, um, uh, obviously chemicals, pesticides, things like that, any other germs uh, that come in through our respiratory tract that we might, you know, sniff, swallow, et cetera. Um, even things that come in uh, medication wise, um, you know, that we're taking drugs, et cetera. Everything goes through pretty much our intestinal tract because then it's, you know, whatever's left over goes out as waste. So, um, we have this system that is constantly there to sort of surveil what's going on. We actually have cells. There are these really cool cells. I talk about them that can reach in they, like a starfish. They can reach in a little hand or a little finger and they can sample what's inside the lumen of the intestine. They can actually take it back to um, uh, other cells to help sort of make decisions 
as to like what's friend, what's foe, what's sort of like we should leave it alone. Yeah. Um, and so really this whole idea of the Galt is um, this is like the CIA, you know, <laughs> Pentagon of our immune system. And it's conveniently located right next to our gut. So yeah, really, really important. So important in terms of, you know, the lifestyle piece that we'll, we'll get to um, and some of the things that, that affect that and how. So I know we, we talk a lot about all the things that sort of impact what's going on in our bodies and maybe not in such a good way, um, but there's hope, right? There's hope that, that we can actually oh my gosh, yes. some of these things. We have the capacity to reshape and revise, as you say, our immune behavior. And, mm -hmm. and that's really what this book is about. It's, it's such a great, um, as I said, a good study, easily understood um, information about the immune system. Um, and I think you've got a lot of great ways, like the CIA <laughs> talking about that or the army that you talk about. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, an in, mm -hmm. it, it's a great way of engaging people in reading about something that's so complicated but you've really done a great job of making it simplified enough that we can understand it. So maybe we'll move into talking just about... Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll move back into talking about what are some of the things that, that we can... Um, like you talk about coaching ourselves to be more tolerant of the environment. And what does the mm -hmm. environment provide for you? And, and what are the things that we can do around let's say let's start with toxins right because that's such a huge mm -hmm. piece of it that i don't yeah. think most people like i feel like when i work with people i have to convince them around this they yes. don't believe that these things are really as dangerous as they are mm -hmm. right it's the total toxin burden it's not just one thing right? right all the things that we're exposed to but you've got the filthy five in your book so talk a little bit about that for me yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I do, I think there's, first of all, several reasons why um, we don't think about toxins as being problematic. I mean, you know, anyone would say like, okay, like poison is bad for you, right? Sure. But because there are so many chemicals that are allowed, um, specifically in the United States, you know, more than other other countries because we have a very sort of loosey goosey um, yeah. uh, sort of organization, right? That's, that's uh, regulating our chemicals in this country. And that's, you know, a whole other story. But right. um, so I think most of us just assume like, well, gosh, no one would actually make like, I don't know, a shampoo or a moisturizer or something that we're supposed to put on our head and on our babies. And, you know, that would actually hurt us. And, um, and, you know, so this is obviously a really powerful industry. It's huge. Um, and we all use chemicals every day. I'm not saying that chemicals are necessarily, you know, evil because I mean, I use them every day. They're everywhere. We're born with them in our, in our system. So, but what we do know, and, and, and a lot of this is, you know, we need to do more research. Um, but you know, again, research is expensive. We do know that there are, um, um, many, many chemicals that can change how our immune system works. Mm -hmm. So it can actually change, for example, how we make antibodies, how our natural killer cells work, how our T cells function, but it can also change 
how our cells look like to our immune system. So because certain chemicals are toxins and can, you know, damage DNA and they are, um, you know, create free radicals and damage cells, that then signals to our immune system like, hey, we need to repair this cell <laughs> or we, it's, or, hey, I don't know what this is. We have to, um, you know, make an antibody to it or we need to, or we, or we may need to kill it, right? So, yeah. you know, I, it really sort of changes how the um, the immune system sees the body. So, um, so that's part of it. And and yeah, and there's a lot of different um, toxins that are particularly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the the filthy five is um, just sort of like a grouping which are um, you know particularly bad. Um, I talk a lot in, in, uh, about something called PFAs, mm-hmm. um, and uh, PFAs are also dubbed forever chemicals yep. because they really last forever. I mean, they have a ridiculous half-life, and unfortunately, they're found like everywhere. And for the longest time, we really didn't have testing for it, and now they're actually looking, and it's they're just in water systems. Um, and they just accumulate in the body over time and they can damage the immune system. So uh, that's a big one. And then of course there's plastics. Um, A lot of the plastics and the phthalates um, which interfere with our immune system and also interfere with our endocrine system. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at least they, we we do know a little bit more about plastics and we have had some legislation change about that. Um, There's lots of pesticides, um, which, you know, again, we, we know that pesticides are bad for us, but many of us, you know, we can't control the pesticides we eat. We can try to eat organic, um, but we do know that obviously pesticides can get into groundwater. Um, um, it gets into animal feed, so it can be in animals. Um, and then heavy metals um, is another big one, uh, which I think is, uh, you can do a lot even just by filtering your water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of these what are called volatile organic compounds, and they're found everywhere. Um, really, you know, in a new mattress, in a new sofa, in um, uh, you know, in paint, uh, carpeting, upholstery. So, you know, you could go crazy sort of thinking about all of this. And so I, I mentioned that like you, you cannot live in a chemical-free world. And our immune system and our detoxification systems do a pretty good job at getting rid of, of toxins. Um, However, when we're overburdened with them, Mm -hmm. um, it can cause damage and it can cause issues. And so it's something to be very just cognizant of for sure. Yeah. And I, I like that you simplified it down to the filthy five because you're right. I mean, when I talk to a lot of um, the people that I work with and we start talking about the Environmental Working Group, EWG.org, which is yeah, great, such a great group. Yeah. Yeah. But it can get very overwhelming. And, mm-hmm. and I usually tell people, just start with deodorant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's such a great thing, right? Because you use it every day, right? You use it's it every day. Most people do. <laughs> and then you can slowly slide into some of these things. But it can be overwhelming, and the idea that you are never going to live in a chemical-free environment 
is important to understand, but how do you take some of those top things that you have control over and start shifting what you're doing in your in your daily life? And we'll talk about some of those toolkits, but I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about the detox pathways because you said if you know our bodies do a really good job of detoxifying a lot of these, our liver works really hard at that, but if you're overburdened and yes. that's something that you don't know, then you know your detox pathways can be blocked and you're not getting through all those phases of detox that you need to. Mm-hmm. Can you touch a little bit on those um, phases of detox and how that works? And then we can move into what to do about it because sure. we don't to leave people there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, we have a couple of ways of detoxifying or, you know, removing toxins from the body. But, you know, if you, if you think about it, our largest detoxification organ is our liver. Um, and, um, to simplify it, you can think of it as there's, um, two major phases, um, of detoxification. And then there's sort of a later phase where it gets dumped into the gallbladder if you have one, and then dumped into the intestinal tract to be, you know, pushed out basically with waste. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we all have innate detoxification ability. Like you don't have to take some special thing in order to actually detox. Mm -hmm. However, there are ways to upregulate those systems. So if you think about it, um, the first system, which is commonly called phase one, um, its job is to break down toxins from most toxins are fat soluble, meaning that they are, um, you know, you think about it, like they dissolve in fat or they get stored in fat. Um, um, so they're not water soluble. So in order to get them out of the body, you have to change that. And so there's this whole um, system um, which has uh, different amino acids and, and vitamins and minerals that help make these fat soluble, fat loving toxins um, breaks them down. However, when this process of breaking them apart creates these sort of very um, unstable um, chemicals. So we call them free radicals, but, um, you know, this has this temporary state that's actually quite, uh, um, unstable. And then in phase two, they convert, it converts, there's a whole other set of, of molecules and, uh, minerals, vitamins, etc., that help convert those toxins into a water soluble form. So then it can then, um, uh, leave, um, the body with the waste. Um, so, you know, there's so much information there about detoxing and a lot of it's not very, you know, um, I would say it's, it's not very accurate, right? So like, you know, you can't just drink lemon water for five days and detoxify. You actually need, you need food and minerals to, to, um, to detox yeah. uh, and water and things like that too. So, um, but we do know that there's certain things that help us along the way. So I, you know, I list in the book, like these are things that you can put in your food or these, there are foods that have a lot of, um, um, aspects in them, you know, whether it's, um, uh, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, um, things that are called polyphenols, things that, um, uh, sort of squelch free radicals. There's lots of different things that we can get from our diet mm-hmm. that can make us more like better detoxers. Right. Um, uh, and then there's certain things that you can avoid. So, um, yeah. yeah. 
So there's a lot of great things that you can do with food. And that's, you know, I really want to try to impress that upon people. Yeah, definitely. So let's maybe, I, I like that, that definition. And you're right, there's so many um, pieces of information out there about detox and that people are doing some pretty radical things that you probably don't need to do. But you need mm-hmm. to set up the environment for your body to work the way that it should work. Because yeah. obviously, we, our bodies are amazing. And if we yeah. um, treat them in the right way, they'll do the things that we need them to do. Um, so moving into your immunotypes, let's just talk a little bit about your immunotypes and then we'll, we'll get to that portion where you talk about the foods that are helpful and you know all of the other tools that you can use. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about your immunotypes that you've created here. Yeah, so um, you know, again, this came out of um, what I saw in my practice. And again, you can be uh, more than one thing, <laughs> but um, the first sort of immunotype is um, what I call the smoldering. And, you know, this is, and we call it smoldering because this is characterizes people who have just a lot of inflammation going on all the time. Um, and when I say inflammation, there's different mechanisms that create inflammation in our body and inflammation is really important. We have to get inflamed in order to kill things. And we also have to get inflamed in order to heal things. Yeah. So I go through that, um, a little bit in the beginning, um, in that, you know, you can't heal a cut or a broken leg or anything unless your body is able to recruit your immune cells become inflamed in the short term and then sort of quiet things down so that you can heal right so that's important inflammation is great (laughs) but you got to be able to turn it off um but many of us have sort of sources uh, either of what we're eating or what we're doing how we're living um that cause chronic inflammation in the body and it can be uh in the um you know in our arteries um it can be our skin it can be our brain um it could be our joints and this creates a sort of smoldering immunotype. Um, so that's that's basically um, smoldering type. Okay. And you know the thing about inflammation too is that it does underlie. It is involved in the other two of the other immunotypes. So the other ones are um, misdirected. Mm-hmm. Okay, so misdirected is um, basically when our immune system is um, acting out against our own tissues, our own cells. Um, There is a cardinal rule in immunology (laughs) that it's like, you do not attack your own cells. Um, You do not recognize your own tissue as being foreign, because if you do, you're going to attack, reject, and destroy. And um, in fact, when we're infants, Uh, If certain uh, white blood cells or what we call lymphocytes come out and are able to recognize certain tissues, um, they get killed. They actually get destroyed. So um, we create what's called tolerance, tolerance to our own tissues. And maintaining immune tolerance is key. When you lose immune tolerance, that is when autoimmune disease occurs. And so the misdirected type are people who have developed any form of autoimmunity. And there's many, as you know, there's uh, probably close to a hundred autoimmune diseases. We're, yeah. you know, learning more and more. More every day. Um, 
The third is um, hyperactive. So this is something that I've been dealing with for a long time, and that is people who have a hyperactive response, immune response to things that are generally not harmful. Okay, so we yeah. want to have a really um, adequate response to viruses and parasites and bacteria, but we don't want to respond to things that are harmless, like pollen mm -hmm. or you know a peanut. Mm -hmm. So these are people with allergies or asthma or eczema, any sort of um, allergic type disorder. Um, and then lastly, are people who have a weak immunotype. So, you know, many people come to me and say, I just get sick all the time. You know, I, I can't really mount a good immune response. I have chronic infections. I get everything that comes around. Um, and, you know, part of this can be acquired. Um, people can actually acquire immune deficiencies due to um, chronic stress, uh, poor nutrition. Some people do have genetic um, immune deficiencies and then acquired, you know, obviously HIV is a big one. So, but there are people who um, have these uh, weak um, immune responses that can really be helped by changing a lot of what they, um, how they live and how they eat. Yeah. So those are the four. Smoldering, misguided, hyperactive, and weak. And you have, and weak. you have a quiz in your book that can help people kind of check off the boxes mm -hmm. and figure out which one maybe you have a little more that you've checked off um, right. each quiz. Mm -hmm. And because you said in the beginning, yeah. you know, you can have both. You can have you can have a couple different types, but one is probably more right. predominant. Right. Okay. So Exactly. So um, I obviously there are people will say, well, you know, I have autoimmune disease, but I also have, you know, asthma. So which one am I? Yeah. So we are dealing with a little bit of a delay here, I think, in our in my internet. So I apologize for that because we're we're talking over each other a little bit, but we'll get through it. That's okay. I lost you for a minute, so <laughs> I know um, it's, it's modern technology, right? So right. knowing, understanding just the the different types. Um, Let's let's move into um, what it is that we do, the, the toolkits that you have, which are really phenomenal. I think that's um, a great place to kind of move towards the toolkits that you have around lifestyle and what it is that that each person might be able to do. Um, and certainly we're not going to um, go through every single thing, but mm -hmm. let's hit some of the top things. I love the, the sleep and stress are, you know, number one things to pay attention to. Um, the stuff yeah. we're talking about with adaptogens and some of the things that, that people can try. Um, and probiotics, too. That's definitely something I want to talk about because you've got some great information in there about um, that. Mm -hmm. because it's, it's kind of a confusing topic for a lot of people. So yeah. tools, yeah. tools, tools. Yeah. So, you know, the sort of the areas that I think just play a huge role in, I mean, health in general, but definitely... Um, causing and also reframing uh, and helping our immunotypes or sleep, um, stress, or I should say like how our body responds to stress and how we can intervene mm -hmm. um, and uh, nutrition, obviously, uh, and our gut health and toxins, environmental. So that's sort of five areas. Mm -hmm. And all of them are very important for every immunotype, right? But certain immunotypes, you know, really might have to... I. I would say like, I want them to focus on this first mm -hmm. or look at their environments and see, you know, what areas in there, what are they doing? Like if you have like a really, really, really awesome diet, you know, um, and, um, you know, 
you have terrible allergies, but you're doing everything you possibly can, well, then maybe you have to look and see what your environment is like. You have to look and see what kind of toxins you might be exposed to. Um, because, you know, in particular, let's just talk about the hyperactive um, immunotype people with allergies. They tend to um, be very sensitive to toxins because of the whole um, sort of how their uh, T cells or their lymphocytes are, um, what type of pattern they're in. Mm. Um, toxins tend to create um, this, what we call a Th2 dominant pattern, which is the pattern that we see a lot in people with allergies. And so if you can really hone in on, um, you know, taming the toxins in your environment, that might really help you. And so what I do is I sort of say, start with not only what you can see in your life that um, is the predominant issue, like if you are an insomniac and that is the main issue, like you really, really don't sleep, well, you know, work on that. But also based on your immunotype and what direction that sort of puts you on the, the, the scale uh, in terms of um, what your immune system's doing, um, there may be some things that you want to work on first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that from the perspective of um, just someone who has, I mean, there's so many people who have allergies and you you know that, that people respond differently. So when you talk about the, the genetic part of it, um, you know, not everybody is doing the same thing. And this is what I think is so great about the book. It personalizes this for each person. So mm-hmm. when, you know, what are some of the things like, you know, if we're talking about sleep and stress, and I know that, um, you know, you mentioned how our body responds to stress, right? It's not that mm-hmm. we're going to get rid of all the stress. That's not going to happen, right. right? We have stress. Mm-hmm. We can't anticipate it. Things happen that you just don't even know. How can we shift the way we respond to stress? What's a, what's a yeah. couple of good tools in that box? Yeah. So, you know, as you said, stress is, uh, is everywhere. Um, some of us actually seek it out and create it in our lives based on, you know, how we live and who we hang out with. Um, so I think that, you know, having sort of like an honest, um, conversation with yourself about like how much, how much of this stress am I actually inviting into my life? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's number one is you have to sort of think about like, well, what are my behaviors like? Am I coming home every day and putting on the news, mm. uh, the local news and learning about how many people were murdered or, you know, what, you know, and I'm not saying that you should not check in with your news, but, you know, we don't need to be 24-7 uh, involved in disturbing, upsetting things, right? So that creates a shift in our stress hormones. Yeah. So you know, it's not the presence of stress. It's what the presence of stressful people, environments, um, events, what that does in our body. So, you know, from the brain down, what kinds of hormones are released like adrenaline and noradrenaline and cortisol. So it's those hormonal shifts that create a physiology. It creates a state in our body. Mm-hmm. So the number one thing is remove as much as you can, right? If you want to be honest with yourself and say like, I'm in a terrible relationship or I'm around people who don't value me yeah. or I am in a job that is killing me. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, sometimes you have to make difficult decisions. And as you know, as a coach, sometimes people do. And then they go, oh my God, I feel so much better. Like Exactly. I think that's you know? one of the things we find um, when people seek out functional medicine. First of all, they're in a growth mindset when they do that because it's not the traditional pathway. Um, right. So they're more open to it. But people who never thought in the beginning that they would you know, leave their job or find something else end up doing that. They have this life right. transformation because they start to realize the impact that some of these things that they've brought into their life as you Oh my gosh, yeah. And you know, a lot of times you feel like you cannot escape those things. You feel like you don't have the choice. Yeah. But then by the time you get sick enough, you realize I have no other choice. And then you do it and you're like, wow, I could have done that five years ago. I know. Why didn't I just make the decision yeah. to change or to leave? Um, because that is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's also, obviously, many of us are, you know, we're pretty generally happy, but we go through periods in our life that we, that uh, stress occurs and it, it, it takes over. And so, you know, the tools that we use um, are um, varied. And I always, you know, when I talk about this in the book is not every tool is going to work for you, <laughs> but you, you A, have to give it the, the college try. You cannot, you cannot sit down to meditate and in within a week, see that you've had massive results and also make the decision whether something is good or bad for you, right? So True. you have to stick with it for a while. You might have to invest in it, you know, get some books, get some, you know, programs, work with the teacher, work with the mentor, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, really apply yourself like it's your job, okay? Yeah. But then there's things like, um, in terms of turning off that stress response or redirect, you know, sort of redirecting it is anything, you know, anything mindful, you know, creating, um, creating a gratitude practice, creating a journaling practice. We know that that's, you know, very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing things like tapping, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a practice of, you know, it's almost like acupressure in a way, but Mm -hmm. tapping different specific parts of, of the body and using, you know, sort of mantras um, along with that. For some people, it's getting out in nature. For some people, it's exercise. Um, so for some people, it's therapy. Um, there's so many different things that you can do to um, to really change how your body reacts to an outside stressor. Right. So it's picking one or two of those things and really working with it like it's your job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you also mentioned was you can't just do it for a short period of time and think it's going to fix you. That's that's that traditional method of give me something quick, give me a medication, give mm-hmm. me something. I'm not seeing results for this. And, you know, mm-hmm. I see that all the time because that's exactly what I'm working on with people. It's like mm-hmm. just do small amounts, just start to, to work with it, keep it going. But it is important for people to fall away from some of those things and then come back because then they see mm-hmm. how something that seemingly didn't make any change in their life actually does make a change. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Absolutely. that's where it's like empowering that person to know, okay, this is how I feel differently when I'm doing this practice. Here's how I felt when I wasn't. And mm-hmm. noticing those small little changes somatically in your body. Um, that's that's I think you know even even more so 
that awareness is part of the, the project, the work that people are doing, understanding how their body's responding to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so crucial. And, and you know, this is a lot of, I get a lot of resistance against this. Again, I think it goes back to this idea of like, I want to be better yesterday. Right. And I always have to remind them, how long has this been going on for? Mm-hmm. Right. How long have you felt badly? Sometimes it's five years. Sometimes it's 10. Sometimes it's 20. Yeah. So it may not take 20 years to get back, but it's not going to take a month. Right. It might take a year. It might take six months. It might take two years, but it's going to, it's going to take some work, but it, in the end, it's just so worth it, you know? So worth it. Yeah. And, and you've seen some people, I mean, I, I've worked with some of your, your patients who have, have really made some amazing progress and that's, yeah. that's so powerful. Like if you can find someone who, who has made progress and who's changed habits and struggled through some of those changes of letting go of being so busy or not making space in your day and and figuring out how to create some of that that time and prioritizing sleep right i mean that's another Mm -hmm. you know the sleep and stress piece you talk a little bit about the circadian rhythm and the circadian Mm -hmm. um sort of myth do you call it um Tell me about that or the different circadian types, right? Not everybody requires the same amount. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of research, thank God, that's been going on about sleep and circadian rhythm. Just a huge interest really um, in doing more, you know, research in this area. Um, So this idea, and I used to always feel this way too, is that, you know, you can sort of hack sleep. You know, you could... (laughs) You can sort of like get by without it and like catch up on the weekends and things like that. But we know that that doesn't really work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that every, we have an opportunity every night to get more sleep. And when I say sleep, I mean, we actually go into different stages. Like sleep is an active time Mm -hmm. for our bodies. It's not like your body shuts down. It's that our body's extremely active at night doing the things that it can't do during the day because we're up and moving around and eating and talking and exercising and things like this. So during the night, we actually go into a state of a lot of activity with our immune system. We have a lot of killing going on. We are, um, we're creating antibodies against germs. Um, we're putting out fires. We're actually pretty active at night. And it's one of the reasons why we have a lot of fever at night. I think I talk about that. Um, but we also digest at night. Um, we do just a lot of repair at night when we're in a fasted state. Sure. So when we shortchange ourselves, when we don't get the sleep that we need, we shortchange our immune system. We become more inflamed. Our digestive system goes out of whack. Um, uh, we definitely shortchange our brain because we have this whole, you know, um, basically dishwashing effect that goes on in our brain at night. Uh, yeah, that glymphatic system, right? The glymphatic system, yeah, the glymphatic system, which was strangely only discovered, I think, within the past decade, which is just amazing to me. Well, I know. Um, I think I talked about that when I first learned crazy. about that probably five years ago. I thought, you know, I'm in the world of neurology as a speech pathologist. How did I not know about this glymphatic system? And I'm like, oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that is something that um, we also, our sleep has been hijacked with technology and even more so 
in the past, say, 15 years. I mean, you know, when did smartphones come around? Um, I mean, I didn't have a smartphone when I graduated from medical school or even as a resident or fellow. It wasn't until, you know, I was working probably at the beginning of 2000 um, yeah. that, you know, s smartphones came about. So, you know, you might have had a cell phone, but you weren't looking at it. You know, you got a phone call. <laughs> you got a phone call. You know, um, that was it. We didn't have any other things. We had computers, but, you know, you weren't sitting at, in bed with them. And um, so we've had this massive exposure to data and, and blue light and all sorts of things that interfere with our sleep. And we just get it. We're addicted. You know, we're, we can't shut it off or we won't shut it off. And so... Um, that has played a huge role in, you know, our sleep quality and therefore it's definitely impacting our immune system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sleep, you know, that's sleep and stress are definitely two of the key factors that, that I talk about with most of my clients. And, and again, people think, oh, you know, wearing blue light blocking glasses, that's not going to help. But it, you know, every little layer of it, like put your phone mm -hmm. away, don't have it too close to you, um, you know get up out of bed to have to shut it off in the morning if you use it for your alarm rather than making it super easy and it's right next to you and you can mm -hmm. just pick it up and start looking at it. Uh -huh. um, you know, all, or, all sorts of little tips and tricks that you can do to, to make your sleep so much better. But, but just knowing how critically important it is, as you just explained, all of those things that happen during sleep. And if we shortchange mm -hmm. ourselves, we're just really taking money out of the bank and squandering Oh, absolutely. It. Yeah. You really are. And I mean, it, it does, it, it ages you. I mean, I think that your, you know, definitely your, uh, the incidence of chronic disease goes up tremendously. Um, you know, I talk about obesity is very much affected by sleep. Um, yeah. if you want to lose some weight, right. make sure you're getting enough sleep, you know? Yeah. yeah. And who would say that, right? They're all like, well, you know, it's not, not about that, but it's that hormone ghrelin that's produced if you in excess, if you don't mm -hmm. sleep enough. Um, right. Makes you hungry. Yeah. So lots of good ideas around sleep and stress in there. Tell me a little bit about um, adaptogens. I just really love um, adaptogens. And I know you mm -hmm. have a little section in the book about that, about, you know, using them. What are a couple of that that really are effective and for what reason? Um, let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because um, I wanted to do a little bit more about adaptogens because I do love them so much um but you know that is something i you never know i think uh, might be something i work uh, do a, more of a deep dive into in the future so adaptogens are just a really cool group of different um natural pretty much natural uh products i mean most of them are plants herbs um that they've known about um and probably for for many 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 years. I mean, if you if you really dig into uh, Chinese medicine and even Ayurveda, which is you know um, probably the oldest medical system in the world, yeah. um, they've been using adaptogens and not calling them adaptogens for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, probably sort of, sort of in more modern times. Um, uh, they were used in in Russia in World War II that a lot of the the Russian scientists uh, and then in the Soviet Union found that um, their soldiers actually had more endurance and more stamina and more resilience 
when they were using certain adaptogens. Um, and, and since that time, they've been used in other situations, you know, uh, out in space. Um, and then, of course, just regular old people started to use them, you know, so um, athletes and people just under stress. And there's many different kinds. Um, we don't know 100% how they work. I mean, obviously, some have been uh, more studied than others. Um, but there are definitely adaptogens that help make us just more resilient to dealing with stress. Um, some are more calming, you know, so for people who are maybe more anxious, a little more stressed out um, on that sort of end, um, you know, a little hyperactive, right. um, there are things that are very calming. So, you know, things that come to mind for me are magnolia, um, uh, I would say um, things like lemon balm or what is also called melissa, um, those are really sort of calming, even kava, um, things that are more, um, either more invigorating or more, I would say balancing. Some of my favorites are rhodiola. It's one of like, I love rhodiola, <laughs> um, ashwagandha, which is talked about a lot and is used a lot in a lot of, now we see it in coffee. We see it in, uh, teas and all sorts of supplements. Um, you know, there's really, um, you know, ginseng, different kinds of ginseng are, can be very invigorating. Um, so really just a lot of, of, of plant herbs. Um, uh, and then there's the whole mushroom category too. So those I sort of put into adaptogenic, um, the adaptogenic world, but they're, they're all fungi. They're all from the, the fun, the fungal world. Mm -hmm. Um, but some of those mushrooms are, are adaptogenic and, and obviously have really potent, um, uh, immune promoting um, attributes to them. Yeah, definitely. I think I've heard some about turkey tail um, as one for cancer treatment too. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot, probably some of the biggest work uh, and, and a lot of the, unfortunately some of the best work is done in China. Mm -hmm. um, we don't always have access to all of those studies. Some of them are just not translated, you know, they're, they're in Chinese or, um, but we do have um, a decent amount of information about uh, different kinds of medicinal mushrooms um, that are, um, I want to say, very immune pr promoting. So I would say better maybe for people that are fighting cancer, fighting infections, people who have sort of a weak, weakened immunotype. Um, and so uh, antiviral, obviously, we love we love them. They're great. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so much more to dig into on that. And then yeah, um, so many. Yeah, and so then the other piece of it too that I mentioned I wanted to talk a little bit about because you go into probiotics as well um, because there's there's a, a million different types of, of probiotics and I, I actually mm -hmm. think I remember something about someone doing a whole um, sort of uh, registry of probiotics and mm -hmm. connecting them with different different issues there, have. yeah there is a database and i i am not remembering it now either but um there are a couple of good databases looking at um probiotics and the studies that they have been used in in terms of of how they they've helped yeah, yeah. and so what are some of the ones that you talk about in the book that you feel are um best or essential for certain certain reasons sure so you know I, I talk about two major families, you know, or uh, genera, right, or genus, um, and that is the lactobacillus 
um, uh, family and the um, bifidobacterium. And, and one of the reasons is because probably most of the data that we have are on these sort of large groups of, of bacteria. And they also make up a pretty large part of our microbiome, um, at least on the bacterial end. Um, and we know that um, there's certain specific species that have uh, been shown to be associated with longevity. So for example, uh, in bifidobacterium, uh, there's one that's called bifidobacterium longus, L-O-N-G-U-S. Um, and if you think about the name longus, it's actually associated with longevity. And they've looked at um, some elder people who have, um, or people who are, you know, centigenarians, and they have a really large amount of bifidobacterium longus in their gut. Mm-hmm. And so it has an influence on our ability to um, live a longer life. Um, and then there's other ones that are associated with um, uh, preventing infection. Um, so, for example, in the uh, lactobacillus world, there's lactobacillus planarum that has been shown to help with um different kinds of food poisoning, uh, lactobacillus, uh, rhamnosus. So really a lot of, you know, there, there is quite a bit of data looking at, uh, using, um, certain, certain species of probiotics. Um, if you've a been exposed to a lot of antibiotics, which tends to kill all of our good bacteria or a great deal of it. Um, or if you've had maybe a massive um, GI infection, so you were unfortunate enough to get, you know, traveler's diarrhea or you know uh, an overgrowth, you know, an overgrowth of something like C. diff, or you you had a, a nasty E. coli strain. Um, so there's different things that you can take. Um, interestingly, though, you know, and I, I talk about this a little bit, um, I really do advocate that people eat fermented foods, yeah. even more primary than taking probiotics. I mean, probiotics yeah. can be really great if you're trying to recover from a massive infection or you've just had a terrible history of, of uh, antibiotic usage, et cetera. Um, but fermented foods is pretty much how like people live for many years and populated their uh, GI tract with all these really good bugs because lacto-fermented foods contain a lot of lactobacillus species and a lot of bifidobacterium species. And if you look even on a, you know, a fortified yogurt or a kefir, you're going to see that, right? That, you know, um, and so I'm a big fan of using fermented foods. Yeah, absolutely. And that gets to the, the idea that a lot of this can be, um, supported by the diet that you're eating, right? So you put a lot of information in there about different foods that people need for the different immunotypes. And, you know, in general, I know, um, you know, we'll talk about fermented foods. We talk about cruciferous vegetables, lots of leafy greens, um, getting some of the bitter foods that are Mm -hmm. better for detoxification, right? So there's so many different ways to use food, which I think is our first line of defense, right? Because we all eat, you know, two to three times a day and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. type and quality of food that you can get is is really such an easy way to just start some of this stuff. Um, Fermented foods are so popular now. I mean, there's so many companies out there making really creative, interesting yeah. sauerkrauts. I have one that I've gotten 
it's called eye boost and immune boost and it's huh. got burdock root in it and it's got all ah. kinds of interesting stuff that you know i'm surprised i can get it in ohio at my grocery store <laughs> yeah i haven't seen that one i haven't oh. seen that i wonder if i can get it online i'll have to try it i think you can it's really cool and it tastes so good i tend to mix it with things like like Brussels sprouts or mm -hmm. something else, just I toss it in my salad. But it's there's so many different ways to get those foods. And I think, you know, we also have to open our palates too. I, I was just talking yes. to a patient yesterday who's like, eh, turning her nose up to everything that I'm talking about in terms of fermented foods, but her bacteria is, like she just doesn't even have a lot. There's just right. none detected, none detected, none detected on her Genova testing. Right. and. You know, yeah. that's that's someone who needs, you know, slowly work into some of these things, but open your palate a little bit to see mm -hmm. if you can allow yourself to have some of these things. Yeah, I think that's really important. And also to understand that the one of the benefits of doing, say, like fermented vegetables in particular, is that you get that double whammy of prebiotic fibers. And, you know, because how you feed your gut bacteria you know so you're getting this you know these species in into your digestive system but how you feed them and how you feed what is already present there is by eating fiber mm -hmm. so when you have a sauerkraut when you have a kimchi or something you're getting this great fiber with it um yeah. and then also just eating more fiber in general right you know right and i would also add which we talk a lot about with people is eating in a calm environment. Shut that TV off. You talked about the news. Do a little breath practice before you eat because if you're stressed and you're eating on the run and mm -hmm. you're not taking time, you're putting good food in your body, but your body may not be absorbing it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's that's like the opposite. You know, when you're in that fight or flight, what we call sympathetic nervous system state, um, we actually shut down our ability to digest food, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. We, it's because it's not primary. You know, your body thinks you're in a dangerous situation. Yeah. You have to be ready to fight or flee or do whatever. And so it naturally, you know, lowers your stomach acid at that point and lowers the motility of your gut and it, it diverts blood actually from your digestive organs to, you know, so it goes to your heart and your brain and your skeletal muscle. Um, so if you live in that state, yeah, you're going to end up with all sorts of IBS and all sorts of terrible symptoms um, because you're never in that like chilled out, ready to digest state. Yeah, yeah. And those those stressors and those fight or flight situations are things like answering an email or oh my god, yeah, work exactly. Now it's not stuff that is critically important. Nobody's going to die. <laughs> right but we think that those things are so important to pay attention to and i you know i always say i'm a work in progress right it's i don't do we all are all the time either but i know that i do them more than most people probably um of course that's, yeah that's what this is about really just helping people understand what's the connection of all of these things and they all work in synergistic fashion together mm -hmm. it's a system so we gotta we gotta hit every yeah. part of the system and you also, I agree with you, is that, you know, this idea that perfection is, is, you know, when you try to strive to be perfect, it, that's a stressor unto itself, right? Yeah. And, you know, for both you and I, right, we're in this, this, this uh, 
this industry, this job, right? That people are looking to us to get great health advice. And, you know, God forbid one day you, you eat a, a chocolate bar and someone sees you. And, oh my God, they're eating sugar, right? But it's <laughs> like, huge chocolate. If we do huge <laughs> chocolate, it's better, right? <laughs> right, you know? So, um, you know, everybody needs to recalibrate and rebalance. And, you know, I just, I just put on my Instagram today that I was, I'm starting a challenge 30 days of yoga, oh, which yeah. doesn't sound like a lot, but because of what's, you know, been going on in my life the past couple of months, I just really got out of it and I was not being as regular as I wanted to. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to challenge myself. And I like to do challenges that don't deprive me, that actually bring something great into my life. And I love yoga and I've been doing it for, you know, 20 plus years. Right. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to do just 30 minutes of yoga every single day. It doesn't seem like a lot, yeah. but it's to build a practice again. It's to build that, that habit that, that, you know, of something that I love to do. I just sort of let it fall by the wayside because I was, right. you know, doing other things. So everyone can recalibrate and we all, you know, the whole point in life is like to continue to, to be a better person and to do better things for ourselves. And, you know, we're always going to have times that things are out of balance. Yeah. Right? And I think, yeah. thank you for sharing that because I do think that some people feel like there's this perfection that I have to do this all the time. I think the 80-20 rule is really important and really important, know yeah. that life flexes, right? It goes up and down. Sometimes there is stress and you can create more stress by worrying about the fact that you're not doing all the things that should be lowering your stress, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. not the point of it. And so to hear it from someone who talks about it all the time to their patients is so powerful because people have to realize that there is no perfection around this. It's it's do what you can and keep it in your life just a little tiny bit. And then on the, the times when you can increase it a little bit more, then you do, right? Now you've said things have settled down, you're, you've got a little more time, you can add this into your day, but you're not gonna stress yourself out about the fact that you didn't maybe do it for a couple of months. Right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You, have to, you have to be kind to yourself. Yes, be kind, loving kindness. Be kind. mm -hmm. Loving kindness. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a really great conversation and I'm excited to read more of your book. I mean, it, it's, it's coming out December 20th, perfect for people to buy, as I said in the beginning, um, as a Christmas gift and to just start out in a space, you know, start anytime, doesn't have to be New Year's, but anytime. this is a really good, good book to really, if people are struggling with some of the things that we've talked about here, um, a great way to organize it and feel like you've got a plan. Here's a plan, mm -hmm. I can follow it, um, great gift. It should be on everybody's coffee table and a good read. Thank you, Karen. I hope that people pick it up and enjoy it and and yeah pass it along to friends and family you know yeah so I did that's my that was yeah thank you so much well thanks for being here and um thanks for starting out the full capacity living podcast back in the beginning of 2021 and ending it here as we move into season two next year it's exciting i'm really excited for you thanks. i think uh, this is great thanks for sharing it So what a truly fun conversation that packs in so much useful information to start using right now. Remember the book Immunotype Breakthrough drops December 20th. Pick up a few copies for those you love and care about. 
The link will be in the show notes to purchase. So as I mentioned in the intro, this is our last podcast for season one, but please stay tuned for some great guests in 2022. We will be talking to pioneers in the world of mold illness, which if you don't know anything about it, uh, you will be fascinated. Uh, we will also be talking to an incredibly special guest who is a world-renowned leader in the world of mind, body, medicine, and trauma. So, so excited for Full Capacity Living 2022. But for now, take care of yourselves. Enjoy the holiday season with all of those you love. And I will see you in 2022 for more inspiring conversations in the world of functional and integrative medicine. Take care. See you next year.